from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. It is a critical moment. If we do not act with urgency, we would then severely undermine the liberal order. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. The wind is back in Europe's sights. We have now a window of opportunity, but it will not stay open forever. Hello and welcome to the CEA podcast. My name is Sophia Besch and I'm a research fellow here at the Center for European Reform. And today I'm in conversation with Luigi Scazzieri, who's also a research fellow here at the CEA. Welcome, Luigi. Hi, Sophia. So I think it's a bit over a year ago that you've been on this podcast talking about Libya. And uh, then this summer, violence erupted once more. Libya is back on the agenda. And so you're here to talk about it again. We Particularly, I think, want to focus on the EU's reaction, the EU strategy towards Libya. But before we start, could you just catch us up on what has happened in Libya over the summer? Yeah, so I mean, what we saw in uh, in August and, and early September was essentially an eruption of violence in Tripoli, just the capital of Libya, fighting uh, between militias. That took many people, um, in a sense, uh, those that don't have a, their eye regularly on Libya by surprise, because, you know, we usually tend to see it through the angle of migration and as essentially not a problem. But the truth is that since uh, 2014, uh, Libya has been in a state of essentially civil war after a brief period of stability following the overthrow of, uh, of Gaddafi. They divided between different factions. The UN backed the deal in 2015, but the country remains divided. So just to give you a quick snapshot, there, there's two main players. One is a UN-backed government in Tripoli led by uh, Sarraj, uh, and the other is uh, a government in the east of Libya that uh, was, was also part of this peace deal brokered by the UN and uh, is backed by uh, a general called General Haftar, you know, with, a, with an anti-Islamist tinge, broadly speaking. But of course, there are other factions, and they were the ones uh, fighting in, in Tripoli. Thank you, Luigi, for giving us such a brief overview of the situation on the ground. There is much more to it, of course, and it's much more complex, and listeners should really read the forthcoming piece by Luigi on this where he goes more into detail of what is happening between the different warring factions in Libya. But what we want to talk about in this podcast really is what is the EU doing? How is the EU reacting to the situation in the country? The EU played an important role supporting the UN in the build-up to the December 2015 peace deal. Uh, that peace deal was, it was inconclusive, as we'd said. And right now, the EU is again backing uh, UN mediation efforts to bring together different sides to uh, finalize the constitution and to work towards elections. And uh, in theory, all European countries back this line. But when you say in theory, you're already mentioning the thing that we really want to talk about, which is that there are divisions among Europeans with regards to what strategy is the best for Libya, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's been, uh, you know, divisions which haven't really been in the public eye. But in reality, Italy and France have taken very, uh, very different lines on this. So France has supported Haftar, uh, this general in the east, who's also backed by Egypt, uh, the United Arab Emirates, and has received support by Russia, essentially because because it sees him as, as a source of stability in a very uh, unstable region. And uh, President Macron has recently brokered meetings between Haftar and, and Sarraj in Paris in May, where they agreed to hold elections uh, in December, in which, of course, there's a good chance where they held that Haftar would win, given that he's 
one of the only names with nationwide recognition, and he controls uh, half of the country, so militarily. On the other hand, Italy has been um, a strong backer of the government in, in Tripoli, mainly because it has business links there and it depends on the government to control migration flows. Most of migration flows from Libya come from the, the, the western side of the country. And it fears that elections would uh, fuel further conflict empower Haftar and weaken the Tripoli government that Rome uh, relies on. And I think other countries, not only other member states, but also more broadly, recognize that it's inappropriate perhaps to hold elections at a time when there's no basic security, no guarantee of them being free or fair, no electoral law that's, uh, that's functional, and the parties haven't actually committed to upholding the legitimacy or the results of the elections. So, in reality, France seems to be quite isolated in the international community in pushing for, for early elections in December. So, from your answer, I'm guessing that you are with those who are critical of Macron's plan to hold elections. What do you think that the international community should be doing? Yeah, so you guessed right. The international community has been trying to stabilize Libya for a fairly long time. I think it's made several mistakes in the process of doing that. First of all, of trying to push parties towards a solution too quickly. As a result, the solutions that were engineered, such as the deal in December of 2015, didn't have buy-in, didn't have legitimacy, weren't accepted. Uh, and it's clear that any future agreement needs to be patient and to have broader legitimacy. Now, a key issue in Libya has been that the international powers aren't really on the same page. Yes, they all want a solution, a stabilization of Libya, but on their own terms. So you've had Haftar with some very strong backers in France, in Egypt, in the UAE, in Russia, whereas the government in the West, yes, has essentially been supported by the United States to a degree, and, but, but the US has been involved mainly in the counter-terrorism role and, and by Italy. So the idea really before holding elections would be to, to bring the parties together. Now, of course, that would mean for a start that France and Italy need to be on the same page. So can you just spell out for us why it is so important that France and Italy as two big European powers pursue the same strategy in Libya? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's extremely important that, in theory, Europe is supposed to have a common foreign policy, and it kind of makes uh, undermines that notion when, when countries are pursuing you know, the same aim, essentially, the stabilization of Libya, but in different ways. Uh, and, and this, I think, you know, generally shows a problem. Even when countries might have similar goals, there, there can be differences in how they pursue them. Now, this would entail Rome and, and Paris talking to each other. It's not easy at a time when there are large differences between the two with, you know, the likes of Salvini and Macron positioning each other at opposite ends of the European political spectrum. But I, I see, a, you know, little chance of it being solved, uh, of Libya being stabilized, unless at least Europe manages to get itself on the same page. Uh, and what is the role of Brussels here? When you say Rome and Paris, that sounds like it's very much capital-driven, the policy. But what does someone like Federica Mogherini, for example... Well, Brussels has been good at getting everyone on the same page as far as statements of policy are concerned, but in practice on the ground, countries have then gone on doing their own bilateral foreign policies. So, I mean, Brussels can perhaps play an aggregating role. I hope so. So far, it hasn't been able to. And it's a shame because, there, you know, there's a lot of common ground in theory between uh, the goals of, of, of European partners. So and, you think um, there's a chance that they will come to a, a common joint strategy towards Libya? I hope so. I mean, Italy is holding a summit in, uh, in mid-November and uh, that could be the, the chance to, to have a, you know, a discussion about the goals that both countries have, to talk honestly and to understand that actually they, they pursue the same aims. And uh, I hope there's a chance for increased cooperation. Great, Luigi. Thank you for giving us... Uh, 
quick overview of the situation. Your insight on this same topic is going to be on the CEA website very soon, so we have something to look forward to. Thank you. Thank you, Sophia. Thank you for listening to the CEA podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.